Hello, I'm Mary Beth Robinson, Senior Vice President in the Loss Prevention Department at Alas, and you're listening to Speaking of Law Firm Leadership. This is our third episode of a special series that we call Notes to My Younger Self. In this series, we ask Alas Law Firm leaders what advice they would have given to their younger selves to help them better manage their firms when they first stepped into their leadership role. Joining me today is Kalpana Srinivasan. Kalpana is the co-managing partner of Sussman Godfrey, a 150-lawyer litigation firm that handles high-profile matters across the country. She served as managing partner for three years and joined the firm 18 years ago. Kalpana sits on the firm's executive committee and practices law full-time, focusing primarily on IP and antitrust litigation. She is a fellow of the International Academy of Trial Lawyers and has been recognized as one of the leading IP litigators in the country. Before becoming a lawyer, Kalpana was a reporter with the Associated Press covering media and telecommunications policy. Welcome, Kalpana, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much, Mary Beth, for having me. I'd like to start out with you telling us just a little bit about your leadership journey within the firm, how you became managing partner and some of the steps along the way. I joined Sussman Godfrey after my appellate clerkship, which was um, here in Southern California. At the time, I had planned to go to perhaps a larger firm, but when I came to the Sussman office in Los Angeles, I was really excited by the opportunity. There was something very distinctive about the energy here, and I came to appreciate that being on the ground floor of a growing office and a growing firm presented some different opportunities beyond just litigating, being able to be involved in shaping the direction of the office here, because at the time our Los Angeles office had four lawyers when I started. That proved to be something very exciting and and kind of its own element, being able to develop our practice areas, figuring out how to increase our brand and our reputation in this marketplace. And beyond that, Sussman Godfrey is known for uh, and lives up to its reputation of giving young lawyers extraordinary experience and responsibility. And I benefited from that tremendously. Over the years, I've always had different roles, whether it's been more localized in the Los Angeles office and then over time more broadly in the firm in terms of leadership positions, uh, running the employment committee, being in charge of our training, uh, being heavily involved in our marketing and practice development group. And I think all of that helped to pave the way for um, eventually coming into the role that I'm in now, which is as one of the firm's managing partners. Um, I feel extremely grateful that my partners felt confidence in me to elect me to this role in 2020 after the very difficult and challenging loss of our founder, Steve Sussman. And I've really tried to carry on the legacy that he built in our firm. It has a very unique culture that we work hard to preserve, but also think about how we transition into the future as we grow and expand our presence nationwide. As you know, this series is called Notes to My Younger Self, Lessons on Law Firm Leadership. So let me ask you, that all-important question. Based on what you know now, 
What do you wish you had known before taking on the role of managing partner? I would really classify what I've learned through the experience. You know, I could probably group those into four buckets that we can talk about today. One is the importance of leading by example. The next is cultivating and maintaining important relationships for the benefit of the firm and as a leader of the firm. The third is fostering transparency and inclusion within the firm. And the fourth is really critical, which is being able to step back and engage in meaningful long-term planning. Those, I think, have been great lessons that I have learned during this time and which continue to be an important part of what we're trying to build here and in trying to ensure that we do with the leadership of the firm. Well, great. Let's tackle those one by one, uh, starting with the importance of leading by example. Can you tell us more about why this is so important? In our firm, uh, Mary Beth, as you might know, we don't have administrative partners. So the managing partners also have full-time practices. They are actively out there litigating. And in my case, I feel it's been extremely helpful for me in terms of my ability to relate to the kinds of issues and questions that my partners are often bringing to me. A lot of times they're looking for somebody to help them problem solve when they're figuring out how they might be able to pursue a new type of business or work through a client issue. And I can really relate to what they're trying to accomplish. And I think that's really been an advantage because I'm in the trenches, so to speak, with them in terms of client development and litigating and working on the same issues. I also think as a leader, it is important in terms of credibility. When I ask my partners to be out there looking for new sources of business or working or supporting trials and cases that are very active, I want them to know that I'm doing the same thing. I'm also out there trying and handling my own cases. I am significantly involved in my own matters. And I feel as a form of leadership, it's more comfortable for me to ask people to do things that I myself am doing or would do. And I think it's a really great hallmark of leadership. And, you know, Steve Sussman was out developing business until his passing. And I think it was such an incredible lesson for the rest of us that that aspect of our work doesn't stop. And having a leader that you could look to and who could sort of inspire and motivate you was so influential for so many of us. So I think a lot about that in terms of leading by example. And you know, we're also sort of external representatives for the firm. And at the same time, when I'm in court or when I am dealing with a case issue, I'm doing so in my capacity as a litigator, but I'm also doing that to advance and promote the reputation of the firm. So in those kinds of, you know, the ability to use your practice to do that, I think has been hugely helpful to me. And I've learned how important it is, especially in the type of firm we're in. Well, let me ask you, because at the outset, you know, I talked about how you are a full-time practicing lawyer as well as being a co-managing partner. So how do you balance that? How do you balance your casework with the administration of the firm? It's, I'm sure it's a challenge. It can be at times. Some of it 
And one thing I've learned over time as a good lessons learned is really where the little bit of the peaks and valleys are, too, in the demands of the administrative side of the job. You know in your trials and your cases that are trial-bound when those peaks and valleys are going to be in terms of the demands with your time. But likewise, at the end of the year, the beginning of the following year, those are very time-intensive periods in this role because we're closing the books and doing future planning. And so I'm more cognizant during those times about trying to make sure I leave time in my practice schedule, or I might lean on my other partners on my cases or junior colleagues to pick up more during those times, especially when the work of the firm is really critical for closing the past year and starting the new one. I certainly have my full client base and my full trial calendar. There are areas in which I think my colleagues have stepped up to help support me on the cases so that if I have an urgent need on a firm-related issue, I can turn to that and then be able to come back to the case and make sure that it's been well attended to in my absence. So, you know, it requires a little more thought and planning. I like uh, my Sunday mornings to do some life planning. I've always done that. Even before I was managing partner, I would sit down and look at the week ahead and try to figure out my time was going to go. But I found that even more important now to do a little bit of front planning on a week by week basis and figure out what can give and what you need support on before they percolate up to you. You also mentioned the importance of relationships in the firm. Can you talk about those relationships and explain how you cultivate and maintain them as a managing partner? Well, obviously, I have a co-managing partner. I've had one when I started in my role and then one that was newly elected at the start of last year. And that relationship is really critical to make sure that it is highly functional and that both partners understand and can share their expectations for how it's going to operate. We have tended not to have a divide and conquer approach to being co-managing partners here, at least in my tenure. And I wouldn't really be comfortable with that either. There may be areas where one of us is more focused or picks up the baton on a particular follow-up on an issue, or there may be one area where one of us is drilling down and gathering data and making recommendations. But at the end of the day, we both keep one another apprised and we're both looped in to all issues. And I really think that's important because you don't really want to feel like, at least in our operation, there's an MP who does X and an MP who does Y. That's not how we've operated. And frankly, it helps to refine your own decision-making to be able to say, well, here's something I'm thinking about, or here's how I think this should come out, and to have somebody else who maybe views it a bit differently or has a different perspective. Even in the first instance, before you then go on to a broader group, and in our firm, I have a proposal or I have a proposal with my co-managing partner that will typically then go to our executive committee and then go to our partnership. So there is a layering process. And what I've learned over time is that 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 dynamic iterative process, although it can take a lot of time, has a lot of value in refining to build the best policy, the best proposal. And so I think understanding how those relationships work are very critical to reaching good decision making. Your co-managing partner is not in Los Angeles, is that right? 
That's right. He is Houston based. So lots of Zoom meetings and Zoom meetings, calls, emails. Um, we, you know, there'll be periods of time where we might have a preset check-in. We have a weekly executive committee meeting, and we often touch base before that meeting if there are issues that we need to cover before then. Lots of communication in all different forms and, you know, trying to help streamline the message that ultimately we're putting together. Of course, we as a partnership like to get together in person, so we have opportunity to do that too and to talk about it. And then I think really finding time to carve to out to have discussions that are not just about an agenda item or dealing with what's up and coming, but actually sit down and think about what are some things, some initiatives or some future planning that we would like to be able to do collectively. Because I think that's always a little bit of the, on the communication front can be something you have to be very deliberate about because there's always things you need to deal with, always issues you need to address, but making sure that you have a time and an agenda for things that you want to be working on that will ultimately be more about long-range planning is very important. And I know that you have a good, strong relationship with your general counsel, which is important, which is something that, alas, is very supportive of, encourages that relationship and communications between managing partners and GCs. Can you tell us a little bit about your working relationship with your general counsel? Yes, absolutely. And I should add that one of the great things about having um, administrative leaders at the firm who are practicing is that I've had the opportunity to practice with a lot of them, including our GC, and to work on cases together and have some familiarity of how we interact in the trial team context. And I think that has a lot of benefit when you translate it into doing work for the benefit of the firm. Our general counsel is a very critical part of the operation, making sure he is in the loop and we are looking to him for good guidance, especially as we develop policy and think about issues that impact our employees. Our general counsel, we encourage people to go to him as a resource and to utilize his knowledge. And one of the things he's done is to make a practice out of visiting each of our offices and spending time with the lawyers there. One, so they have a level of familiarity and comfort with him personally. And two, so if there are some issues that maybe they don't feel are pressing enough that they would have called him, but perhaps they have questions, he's there available to them. And we've really supported and encouraged that. I think it's very important for all the lawyers um, in the firm and the staff to have a feel that they have uh, a level of uh, comfort with the general counsel, that they know that he's accessible to them. And we've tried to help foster that by giving him opportunity to interact with the lawyers in person and with the staff. No, that's great. We certainly uh, agree with you on that and definitely encourage our firms to do that. And I think it's terrific that he is out there where folks feel comfortable to come and, and talk to him. You had mentioned before the working groups within your firm and how you interact with them. Can you explain a little bit about the working groups and your relationship with them? It's really been a great tool to involve different partners in issues that arise and also to get some fresh minds thinking about something that we may feel needs attention, but we haven't decided the right path. 
We obviously have a number of standing committees like in the Employment Committee or the Docket Committee, but there are a lot of issues that may come up where we feel it's useful to put together a group of partners, sometimes partners and associates, to brainstorm together as to the best results. And during the core period of the pandemic, for example, we absolutely had working groups addressing different issues that arose, like what are the best practices for a trial team who is going out during COVID to try a case? And our working group could really come together and share ideas, look for best practices, do research if it was needed to make a recommendation. And that in turn would come to us to look at and eventually get to the executive committee and to the partnership. It's also a way of involving different lawyers in the firm, in the business of the firm. Of course, we have an executive committee, but there are so many partners here who are extraordinarily invested in what happens. And I do think there's enormous value in giving those partners a chance to be part of policymaking and bringing together a cross-section of partners. So for example, if it's a working group on an issue and we have a partner from every office, it's a nice opportunity for them to work closely together on something and perhaps in the process develop and strengthen their own relationships with one another. So I found it to be a really useful way to accomplish those ends and involve into the mix younger partners who were trying to give exposure to leadership in the firm, to firm work, to the business of the firm, to have them involved in working groups so that they too are sort of invested long-term in what's happening and we're positioning them to take on leadership positions eventually within the firm. So I found it to be a really, really helpful tool. And of course, part you asked earlier about work and the balancing of work life and management life. And I, I think it's an important principle of leadership to know when you may be able to delegate to a group that could take the first run at something with your further input and let them try to help shape an issue before it comes to you um, so that you're not always taking the first crack at each question that needs to be addressed at the firm. Yeah, I know when we talked in preparation for this, you had mentioned that it's a great way to get people to get into the practice of making decisions, which I thought was interesting and productive. And we've really tried to get young partners involved in leadership of committees like the Employment Committee, the Docket Committee. I think that it is a tremendous skill to learn how to deal with the varying demands of running committees like those. And what's come from it is some very creative ideas that perhaps we wouldn't have seen without those fresh eyes, like ways to make our employment process smoother, better recruiting tools, how to more effectively docket associates who are coming into the firm. So for us, we view committee leadership to not be limited to particular group. And we want to see young partners as well be actively involved and and bring their ideas to the table and learn. Obviously, they're learning how to develop their skills as lawyers, but also to learn how to be able to manage some of the issues that they may face and to manage it among a larger group of people. So the third bucket you talked about was transparency and inclusion. 
Can you talk about those principles and what it is you've learned in the last few years about the importance of both of those in leading a firm? Transparency is really a bedrock principle of the firm. Steve Sussman believed very strongly in sharing information, certainly sharing financials broadly with partners, and even sharing information about the financial health of the firm with lawyers, non-partners, with staff, with associates, to be able to make people feel collective about the mission of the firm. I think we try very hard to make sure that decisions we're considering at the firm are given a lot of attention, a lot of notice and opportunity for people to weigh in, whether it's in the executive committee level or a particular committee that has been developed for a specific issue, because I think that is the culture of the firm. You may know, Mary Beth, at our firm, any case that is not hourly whether it's fixed fee or contingent or class action, we vote on those cases as a firm every Wednesday. One lawyer, one vote. That means the youngest lawyer, the associate that started a week ago, has the same vote as I do on those cases. And I that is a very important principle here, which is that we are making determinations, investments in cases together. And by the same token, we really want people to understand how those shake out. How did we do on a case we invested in? What are the pros and cons of a particular approach that we've taken? And as we get bigger, obviously, we have to be more proactive about that because size changes a little bit of the ease with which that information would normally be shared. If you have 20 or 30 lawyers in a firm, you can talk about every issue in a meeting. If you're in a firm that's now 160 lawyers, how do you make sure people feel like they're getting equal share of information or what they expected in terms of knowing about the firm? And so we work really hard to figure out you know, how to, I would say for partners, they're probably overloaded in some ways. They get a slew of financials every month about the firm, how the cases, individual cases are performing, what our case and time investment is in different matters, how in different fees are working out, fee arrangements. So I think there's a lot of information at that level. And then also finding a kind of a subset of that to be able to share with the associates so that they have some idea, because frankly, it's going to help them become better business developers and to prepare them for what comes on the other side of being an associate, which is not just being a great lawyer, but also understanding how the firm operates. So, you know, there's a lot of value we see in that and trying to make sure that people understand how the firm is doing, how we look at cases, why we look at cases a certain way. It is both informational but I think is a highly critical training tool to the kinds of work we ultimately do. Your last bucket, in fact, is long-term planning and getting a handle on that. So how do you get ahead of the day-to-day demands between your practice and managing the firm to focus on long-term planning? And what have you learned over the last few years on that? A few things. One is, you know, it can be challenging when you have a very successful formula for a firm, right? If it's all working perfectly, what are we trying to change? If it's not broke, don't fix it. That's true sort of in a high level. There are some elements of things that really are are working so well that they should be preserved. 
At the same time, I think there are things that should be adapted to having a bigger environment, more lawyers in different ways. And one of the things that we've really felt, especially in the last probably six months to a year of my time as managing partner, I've felt like we've been able to step back a bit more and really, especially um, after you know the, the return to work and people being back in the office, to really hunker down on thinking about what is the long-term future planning that would be beneficial to the firm. Our growth has always been extremely organic, and I don't see that changing. We don't absorb lateral groups. That's not been our method of expansion. It's been very deliberate in finding lawyers who work well with our culture and helping them succeed here, helping them become successful partners here. But as we do that, we also need to think about how we can support our partners and what their needs will be as time goes on. You know, for example, really expanding our brand because we have an incredible array of clients. And as we have growth in our partnership, it's really an opportunity to expose the way we practice to more prospective clients. And I think that's an important aspect of our future planning is what are the ways to accomplish that. And also to think about really how we ensure that we are giving our young lawyers the same types of opportunities that they've historically had, how we're preserving our way of training and our culture in terms of what we like to teach our young lawyers. And we've really managed to continue to have a single firm culture, even as the firm has grown, even though we have four offices, different parts of the country, And so I think you have to be cognizant of how to continue to keep that in place, even as you get bigger. And we've worked really hard at that. We ensure that our lawyers are getting lots of trial opportunities, that we're continuing to do the kind of work that sets us apart from other firms, and that we're on a path for steady, measured, and thoughtful growth. How do you measure how well you're doing and keep yourself accountable to these goals? couple of ways. One is I I think setting a few priorities that you hope will be hallmarks of your time as a leader. For me, I would say that as we make this full transition from being a boutique to a mid-sized firm, it's really important to me that we have given careful consideration to how we support our partners, what their needs are, which may be different than it was a decade ago. And one of the best ways of doing that is actually talking to a lot of partners. You know, how is it going? What could your practice need? What are the struggles that you feel like you're facing in terms of resources or being able to develop business? Having those conversations a little bit more directly than perhaps when it was a smaller organization and you knew what everybody was working on or what they were doing. And so I think for me, One measure of accountability is how much do I know about how my partnership is doing as a whole? Where do I need to fill in my informational gaps so that I understand what we can be doing to better support partners across the spectrum of our offices and in terms of partners of different vintage and their needs? Likewise, I think with the associates really understanding what they need more assistance with, where we need enhanced training, what they could be getting better opportunities with. 
So I think having a few areas that are particularly important as a leader to be able to refine and kind of going back to what progress have I made on those is important, important way to check yourself. You know, as I mentioned, things we have a very transparent and I feel a highly democratic process to making decisions, which means that it can take time for the partnership to discuss something. And one thing that's really critical is to not let things just fall by the wayside because of the passage of time. You may discuss one issue and then there may be a further discussion in two months or six months, but keep a running list of the initiatives that you're trying to make sure have been covered. They may result in no policy change and that's fine too, but bringing the topics to closure, I think is very important. And I like to keep a running list for myself of the areas where we have a sort of an ongoing discussion in the firm or in the partnership about something that we, you know, continue to revisit and and making sure we've not just let it fall behind because of time. Do you have sort of metrics that you keep to to make sure that you are kind of keeping on task in this process, which, as you said, is very democratic and open. So just to make sure that you are hitting those metrics? Yeah, we look a lot at data um, and really evaluating from different vantage points. We know how our headcount is growing. We know how different practice areas are growing and even soliciting more of that to better understand, you know, as between our different areas of practice, which one is growing the fastest, which one is the largest driver of revenue and constantly sort of looking to that to be able to see if there are things that we should be doing differently or things we should be doing to better shape where the firm is at. I think data-driven decision-making is hugely valuable and knowing what's out there. It may not change the way you come out on a decision, but people like to see the support in what you have and what has been done historically to figure out if there really is a change needed going forward. And I think in terms of having those metrics available, if we have a goal in mind of, okay, we want to see growth in this area, we can constantly evaluate how we're doing on that. If we want to see that we've had a certain number of trials over a period, we are looking at our trial results. And so I think there's definitely been utilization of data to keep ourselves in check as to how we're doing. That makes sense. We've certainly seen that across the board as well, firms using data as we have started to do ourselves. It truly has been a pleasure talking with you. So, Kalpana, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mary Beth. I appreciate Alas having me. This podcast is provided for educational purposes to assist lawyers in avoiding ethics violations, malpractice suits, other professional liability claims, and management liability claims. This podcast does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. The recommendations contained in this podcast are not necessarily appropriate for every lawyer or law firm. In determining the best course of action, lawyers should consider the applicable legal authorities and all relevant facts and circumstances. Copyright 2023 by Attorneys Liability Assurance Society. All rights reserved.